the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Merry Christmas. I was just told to take a deep breath and say Christmas, so I'll say Merry Christmas. Hi, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and we're here every weekday at 4 o'clock to take your phone calls and answer your Bible questions or questions about our faith or something that may be going on in your life. We'll do that if you call 340-9585. That's 340-9585. You can also call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvaryessay.com. You can also send them in directly via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the best way to call is to use the hands-free feature of the KSLR mobile app, which is also free. Just hit the Call Now button, and you'll be connected directly to uh, our studio producer, we'd love to have your questions. Hey, because it's Wednesday, there's a whole bunch going on. Uh, tonight, I get the privilege of teaching First Samuel chapter 30. We're going to start in the sixth verse. Um, I won't get the whole chapter done, but this is one of those sort of extraordinary chapters that have so much application to us. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this Bible study tonight. It's not an easy one, but it's really, really encouraging in the sense that God shows us exactly how to do an about face. If you're not walking with the Lord, if you're not in the perfect, pleasing, and acceptable will of God, this would have fit in really well for my message last Sunday, in fact. But if you're not in God's will, all you have to do is take your cues from David and do what he did, and you'll be right back in the will of God, and all of his promises are yours again to claim. And I mean real promises, not the phony stuff. They're real promises. So that's tonight here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, We're at that time of year where the midweek Bible studies start getting smaller and smaller in attendance because people have a lot going on, and we understand that. But I always thought, well, if five people show up or 5,000, I'm going to teach it the same way. So that's tonight at 7 o'clock. Two quick reminders, and then we'll get right into our questions. December 15th, that's this coming Friday, two days from now, is our children's Christmas play at the Judson High School Performing Arts Center. And then on Sunday afternoon, December the 17th, our annual Christmas dinner uh, is going to be at the Shirts Community Center starting at 4 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. And we'd love for you to come. You can come to either one. The admission is free for the children's play. It'll be a great opportunity for a family to really enjoy um, the Christmas season, start thinking about Christmas in the right perspective. And then on Sunday, uh, there's no charge. You don't have to bring any food. There's always going to be plenty, but we'd love to have you join us. And uh, you are invited, and we just, Paul and I would like to meet you if you show up from the radio audience. So that's really all I've got. Let's talk about some questions that have been sent. The first one is from our mobile app from Richard. And he says, is there a specific religious denomination you have to belong to in order to be able to enter into heaven? Richard, um, denominations have no bearing. You you have to believe in Jesus. And I mean the real Jesus, 
doctrine matters. Uh, it can't be just the name Jesus, like the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses say they believe in Jesus. But Jesus has to be the Son of God, who is God the Son. And if you believe, you ask Jesus into your heart, you're born again. Literally, that means born from above. And then you're going to heaven. It doesn't matter where you go to church. As long as you're not in a heretical church, it really doesn't matter at all. So, no, this is the church universal. The the Catholic church with a small c. Uh, the universal church. Uh, and it is going to encompass more people and more denominations. And even people whose doctrine is a little off, a little messed up. More than we could possibly imagine. I think we've got to start thinking in terms of Jesus knows who are his. He hasn't lost any that the Father has given to him. And believing in him is the key to getting to heaven. It has nothing to do with the denomination. Uh, what you want to be careful of, Richard, with denominations is you just want to be really careful to, to peruse their statement of faith. Maybe talk to a, a pastor, find out what it is they believe. There are um, Lutherans and Methodists and and um, Baptists and Church of Christ people, and um, most of them are really saved. Uh, you just want to be sure you're in a church that is teaching the Word of God, and that's more important than worrying about a religious denomination. And I, when I say teaching it, I don't mean just giving you a short little message about Jesus or the gospel message. I mean teaching you how to be more like Jesus every day. So, Richard, thanks for the question. I hope that helps you. Here is a question from Alex, and he wants to know, um, we've had actually two Alexes who are women in our church, so it could be a she. Uh, what does Christ consciousness mean? Uh, Alex, it, it means nothing. It's nonsense. It's a, a New Age silliness. Um, and they differentiate having the Christ consciousness from having the person of Jesus Christ. And I've often been in conversations with New Agers who talk about, no, he, he lives in me, and his, I have the Christ consciousness within me, and they have this false sense of, of eternal security as a result. No, I can do things my way because I'm, I have the consciousness of Christ living in me, uh, and that just demonstrates that they don't understand it all. So when you're talking to somebody about Christ consciousness, they're differentiating that from the person of Christ, Christ in us, Paul says, the hope of glory. And you're talking to uh, either a full-blown New Ager or you're talking to somebody who um, isn't saved at all uh, and they just don't know what they're talking about. Sounds good. The devil always sprinkles lies with enough truth to make it sound legit, but it really isn't. So uh, that's all it means. It's just a New Age um, pseudo-spirituality that somehow makes them think they're okay with God. Thank you for the question. You know what I forgot to say at the top of the program? The most important thing? Paula is going to be here with me tomorrow on the show. It's the date edition. So ladies, it's your day. Uh, and we would love to have uh, your contributions by way of questions or comments. So tomorrow Paula will be here. Here is a question from Beverly, and it's one I really hate answering. Is emotional abuse grounds for divorce? Here's why I hate answering it, Beverly. In our culture, we've made anything and everything that is displeasing to us abuse of some sort. I'm verbally abused, I'm emotionally abused. Uh, and we're and and when this question is asked, and Beverly, since I don't know you, I'm not making this personal for you. But normally, when this question is asked, it's somebody who's looking for a way out of a marriage, instead of looking for a way to remain in the marriage and honor God. So I'm going to say this, and then I'll explain it. Emotional abuse is not grounds for divorce. The fact that you're married to a jerk isn't grounds for divorce. When you stood before God and got married, either as a believer or an unbeliever. I assume that people are believers when they call this program, and that's usually the perspective I answer the questions from. But um, God took your promise seriously when you said, uh, in good times and bad, until death do us part, or I always say until Jesus comes for us. 
um, sickness and health, in wealth or poverty, in good times and bad. And you see, it's easy to stay with people who are easy to stay with. But God asks us, those of us who are his now, Beverly, again, you may have been married before you were a Christian, but God asks us to honor our commitment and to use the marriage as an evangelism, uh, sort of a, a, a springboard to win your husband, or in some cases to win your wife to Christ. And you can't do that if you're looking for a way out. Now, I understand how difficult it is. Um, I don't think Paula would have ever used this term, but, but I was abusive emotionally and verbally to her. For all those years, she was praying for me, but God asked her to stick it out. And, you know, we've gotten to the place in our church culture where we deserve to be happy no matter what. And, and so the first sign of trouble, we, we run. It's one of the things that I talk to people about in premarriage counseling a lot. You have to mean it. Now, nobody in premarriage counseling doesn't mean it. Oh, no, we're in so in love, we'll never have those problems. It's just that when those problems come, then our first response usually is to cut and run. I think we're tougher than we think we are. And if we'll start thinking about being obedient rather than being happy, if we understand that the, the, the abusive spouse, emotionally or verbally, is the object of our ministry, not the enemy of our ministry, I think then we have God's heart. Now, there are some marriages that simply aren't fixable because people don't want them to be fixed. So, Beverly, here's what you've got to weigh. If you decide to bail on a marriage because he's not meeting your needs emotionally or because he's a jerk, he's selfish, then without biblical grounds, you're not free to marry again. And I don't think too many of us are really, really willing to accept the consequences of those kind of choices. So while I have a great deal of empathy and sympathy for women who are married to jerks, that's not biblical grounds for divorce. I also think, because the culture we live in throws the word abuse around so easily now, I think we have to be very careful about what we say to, to, to claim that a husband is abusive when he simply isn't meeting your needs or even if he's making life difficult for you. Um, I think as Christians we need a different perspective. I know most of you in the radio program, if you've been listening for any length of time, have heard this, but Paula hung in there with me for 13 years. She prayed for 13 years. And she stayed for one reason, certainly not because I was the catch of all catches. She stayed with me because God told her to. And see, that's the thing we have to understand. God, who knows the end from the beginning, he knows how things are going to turn out. And I'd abandoned Paula. She had biblical, biblical grounds for divorce. If she had done what almost everybody else advised her to do, then we wouldn't be doing what we're doing now. That means necessarily, Beverly, that she had to be willing to endure some pain, not physical pain, just to be sure nobody misunderstands if there is any woman in this audience who's being physically abused, you're being hit, or choked or grabbed by your husband. You need to leave and you need to leave today. But just because he's a jerk, imagine how pleased Jesus is with you if you stick it out for him, not for your husband, but for Jesus. So I think we really have to understand the promises that we make to God and view them not from an emotional perspective, but instead view them from a biblical perspective. And I know how unsatisfying that answer is, Beverly, 
Uh, I have been criticized for saying that. Uh, same thing with verbal abuse. Uh, my grandma taught me from as early as I can remember, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt. Now, it's not true that words don't hurt, but words don't put us in danger. Jesus is your comforter, Beverly. Let him wrap his arms around you and let the two of you together be used for his glory to win your husband to Jesus. And if you're not talking about you in the question, I apologize for assuming that. You just go tell somebody who asked you this question what I told you. Thank you very much. 340-9585. The phones have been really quiet this week and the end of last week, and we expect that sort of in December. It's just that the program is so much better when you're calling. Here's an anonymous question that says, uh, I want to believe that Jesus will eventually take everybody to heaven. It would be great news if everybody gets saved, so why do people object to it? Well, anonymous, it wouldn't be great news if everybody gets saved. And here's why it wouldn't be great news. It wouldn't it'd be terrible news because it would mean Jesus didn't tell us the truth. And that means if he didn't tell us the truth that he's not who he said he was. He said he was God and he's holy and righteous. You know, sometimes, Anonymous, we take the approach that this God is love thing, like love is his, his, his highest attribute, his most valuable attribute. It's not. It's his holiness. As you open the scene in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah is being called, he saw the angels around the throne of God covering their ears and covering their mouths and their feet couldn't touch down. It was so holy and they were declaring holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Not love, love, love or power, power, power or miracle, miracle, miracle. It was holiness. And this idea that people who are nearly perfect or good people, but they just, they were weak and they sin, that somehow they ought to be taken to heaven is to demonstrate anonymous that you have no understanding about the importance of the value of holiness. So it would be terrible news because it would mean there's no heaven. And we need to start thinking, um, not, not emotionally, we need to start thinking biblically. I mean, if there was ever anybody on earth qualified to deal with this issue head on, it was Jesus. And he gave no hope at all of everybody getting to heaven. He said the, the road to salvation is narrow and few find it. The road to destruction, however, is broad and well-traveled. And he painted an intentional picture with that. And the picture is we need to strive for the narrow road. And if we want to kid ourselves that somehow God's love is going to trump his holiness, it just demonstrates that probably Anonymous, you don't know who he is either. So it is not great. It wouldn't be great. Now, I pray that there would be a huge revival. But that hasn't happened yet. Short of that, Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed unto men once to die and then face the judgment. Hope that helps, Anonymous. Let's go to New Brunfels now and talk with Dana on line one. Dana, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Um, yes, Pastor Ron. I... Um I really appreciate your ministry. Thank you so much. I listen almost every day, and I really appreciate it. And Thank you. I kind of resonated with the person who called about emotional abuse question, and mm-hmm. um, I appreciate that answer. That answer, I really believe that, too. My, my question is, and, I, and I'm going to ask it and hang up and listen on the radio, but okay. what, it, what in, biblically, in speaking in your what, from what you know as the right thing to do, what what does a woman do besides praying and really seeking God? And, I mean, he's my everything. I can't live without him, and I'm not going to. He's, he's 
I owe him everything and an incredible relationship I have with him. But my husband just tends to be so dishonest about, like, even things that it doesn't even matter, like, that you don't have to be about. And, and I just have such a hard time with that. And, and it's like, and it doesn't bother him. I mean, it, even things you don't, I just, I'm going through a real hard time and a real yeah, hard season right I can, now because I just, and I can't, I don't, I just feel like so much stuff. It's all the time. It's, it's just little insidious lies and just, just, I, it's just, it's crazy. But anyway, yep. I'm, I, I can hear how hard how, how hard a time this is, uh, Dana. Um, I, you said you're going to listen on the radio, so I'm going to take some time with this. It's that important. So thank you very much for calling, and thank you for listening thank to the. Know. Thanks for listening to the program, Faithful. I appreciate it very very much. These are always really hard things, and as pastors, we get this all the time. Um, obviously, now now now, Dana, I'm not judging your husband's heart. I don't know him, but he's living the life of an unbeliever. Um, it, it's just impossible for the, the Holy Spirit to live in us and to continue to lie and not be ripped up inside by it. So if your husband is not a believer, well, and again, I don't mean anything personal by this, but, but unbelievers lie. That's what we do. Now, when Christians lie, it's not that we, we don't lie. It's just that when we lie, there's the Holy Spirit living in us to convict us. We, we open our Bibles and it slices and dices our hearts because God is always interested in getting right to that place where he can draw us back to him. If you have the time tonight, um, listen to the to the Bible study that I'm going to do tonight in 1 Samuel chapter 30. You can get that at calvaryessay.com, the live stream at 7 o'clock. And if you don't have time to do it tonight, then we've got, uh, it'll be archived and, and available tomorrow uh, for for uh, for listening as well. Um, but this is one of those studies where God is always at work in the heart of a believer. Now, the unbeliever, it's not necessarily so. God is trying to win them. And you're the instrument that God will use. I, I so appreciate, Dana, that you said that, that Jesus is your everything. Uh, and, and now he's going to have to be because you need to treat your husband like an unbeliever. Now, that doesn't mean that you just overlook the lies. What, what I would do if I were you, I, and let me tell you what Paula would do for me. If she found that I was lying to her, she would say, Pastor Ron, you can't lie and talk to other people about not lying. I mean, she would be that direct with me. You can tell your husband, when you lie to me about things that don't matter, it makes me think you're lying about things that do matter, and it's doing irreparable harm. Jesus says I have to respect my husband. You're making that hard for me by telling these lies. To, to just sort of gloss over it is not doing anybody any favor and and do it in a tone of voice that isn't angry or demanding but just tell him you know Jesus tells me I have to respect my husband that you're the leader of our home and you can't lead effectively you don't know Jesus if you can continue to lie I'm worried about two things one the state of our marriage, how can I respect a husband who continually lies to me and treats me uh, like I'm uh, like I don't matter? And then secondly, I'm worried about your salvation. I, I married you because I loved you and I want to spend eternity with my husband as we spend together with Jesus. And anybody that can continue to lie the way you're lying. Well, that's a person who's not going to heaven if they continue that way. Galatians 5, 1 Corinthians 6, both says the same thing. So call him on it. Just do it respectfully. Do it lovingly. But let him see the pain that he's causing unnecessarily. Tell him you want more than anything in this world to trust him. And then, Dana, do what Paula did for all those years she was praying for me. Live in First Peter chapter 3. 
I'm sure Paul has got some teachings on First Peter chapter 3 on our website as well. Live in that passage of Scripture. Your husband is the object of your ministry. And First Peter tells us exactly how to do that. The same thing works in reverse if it's a husband who's praying for a wife. But the same thing works in reverse. But we've got to understand that, that people that are unbelievers act like unbelievers. And we want our Christianity to be so vibrant, so filled with joy, even in the middle of the pain. We're running out of time for this half. Let me say this last thing. You know, Dana, for me, the thing that finally convinced me about coming to Christ, about it proved to me that Jesus was real, is that I couldn't steal Paula's joy. I tried no matter what, and I made her life miserable, times of living ill. But there was always a joy, and it bugged me so much. But when I got desperate, I knew I needed the joy that she had. I knew it was real. Thus, I knew Jesus was real. And 13 years after she got saved, I gave my heart to Jesus. Dana, I'll be praying for you, and I don't say that lightly. Uh, Stay in touch. Let us know how things are going. 340-9585 for your live calls. 340-9585. You're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of the wednesday program 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR for your live calls and questions here is a question that just came in from our email inbox from jim he says, what does James 5, 19 and 20 mean? Um, let me read it. It says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is, um, Jim, um, uh, a passage that people have uh, misapplied a lot. Um, um, we'll, we'll cover over a multitude of sins. We just think when, when somebody confronts me if I'm in sin that they should just kind of slide on it because, well, love covers a multitude of sins. But that's not what it's talking about at all. What this is saying, basically, and remember, James is is uh, the most Jewish of all of the epistles. James, a leader in the Church of Jerusalem, um, uh, a Jew to his core, um, after he got saved, he remained the most Jewish uh, of the, the, the leaders in the church um, in terms of thought and life. Um, and, and what he's saying is that we have an obligation to pray for those who've lost their way. James is such a challenging book. James was a no-nonsense kind of guy. Um, when we talk in verse 20 about whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way, that Greek verb translated error is is a gradual drifting away from the will of God. So he's talking about other believers. Um, go get those believers who wander away. Uh, don't just let them drift away and be forgotten. He says, no, go get them. They're gradually uh, drifting away, but but you can be used by God to bring them back. Now, the one reason that we need to pray fervently for people like this is because as they gradually wander outside of the will of God, uh, there's an enemy who's waiting to devour them. And it's our job, as much as we possibly can, to make sure that doesn't happen. Because we want them back on that path, that that perfect will of God path. Now, when it says to cover over a multitude of sins, James, I think, had in mind Ecclesiastes 9, where he says, One sinner destroys much good. The person who's wandering away from the will of God is not only going to fall into their own personal sin and in danger, uh, but the body has to be protected from them as well because they're gradually going to reach out to others and we want to protect them as well. So when we go get them and win them back, when we share the, 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 the 
the need to repent and return to the Lord with them, we're not only covering their sins, giving them the opportunity to have those sins wiped away, but we're also protecting the body of Christ. Uh, and we can pray that they will return to the will of God. Now, here's what we have to remember. Our prayers have to come from righteous hearts. By that I mean we have right sending with God. That means if our prayers are going to be effective, we have to be in that place with the Lord where our heart is right. We have to examine ourselves daily, as Paul says, to see if we're in the faith. We need to take John's advice and, and confess our sins daily. Um, and, and let the Lord not only forgive us, but purify us from all unrighteousness, then our prayers can be affected, effective. And before we can help somebody else who's wandering away, we have to have an attitude of love when we pray for them, not disgust, not, I can't believe they're doing this again. We would have the right heart and the right attitude as we go chase them, because it's that kind of love that covers over a multitude of sins. This isn't a verse that we take for personal application in the sense that, well, if somebody loved me, they'd cover over my sins. No, he's talking about covering over the sins of the one who is wandering away. So I hope that answers your question. It's um, an important one, Jim. Thank you for sending it in. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Martin. This one always infuriates me. Uh, I think this is the third time I've had it on this program. Martin says, I heard a gay Christian say that Jonathan and David were lovers. And then he says, that can't be true, can it? No, you know, one of the the, um, agendas of those who profess to be Christians uh, and and okay with the homosexual lifestyle is that, uh, well, Jonathan and David were lovers. He, they were closer than brothers, and the relationship was special. Indeed, the relationship was special, but that relationship was founded in the, the love of and for God, the holiness of God, and their fear of, their reverence of God. That's why it was special. These were two hearts that were knit together in heaven. Every once in a while, somebody will come into my life and and almost the the moment I meet them, it's almost as though God is holding my heart open and making a deposit into the deepest parts of my heart. And and I, I've recognized that many times over the years. Uh, and, and I know that that not only does God want that person close to me, but He wants me to pray for that person and be there for that person. It's just a a, a deeper relationship. Well, Jonathan. Um, needed David. Jonathan's life was going to fall apart. His father was going off the rails. Jonathan needed a David in his life, but David needed a Jonathan even more. And Jonathan was the friend when everybody else was, well, turning on David for no reason. The last time David and Jonathan saw one another, we're told that Jonathan encouraged David in the Lord, even while his life was falling apart. So, no, they were not gay lovers. That is, uh, it can't be blasphemy because it's not against God, but it is a heretical, horrendous, and hateful thought, Martin. Now, something else I want to address here in your question. When you said, I heard a gay Christian, you can't, those two things can't be together. Uh, you can have same-sex attraction, but if you're really a Christian, you know you can't practice homosexuality. So let me put it very clearly. If somebody is attracted to someone of the same gender, male or female, God is asking you to make a choice between him and them. You can't have both. Now, I know we hate that in this culture. I know that we would be called all kinds of names for believing that, but that's what God is asking us to do. Will you control your lust? Will you deny the attraction, refusing to give in to it for Jesus? Will you do that? That's the question that's being asked. But these um, so-called Christians who are promoting a gay lifestyle, uh, who are supposedly uh, happily living in a relationship uh, as in marriage with somebody from the same sex. Um, 
they're not Christians at all. And people get angry with me. How can you judge their heart? I'm not. I'm judging their behavior. Jesus himself, through his word, the Apostle Paul, in two places said that people who live like that will not inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians 5 and 1 Corinthians 6. So the word of God is judging their lifestyle, judging their decisions. So Martin, don't be convinced by somebody who says, I believe in Jesus, I love Jesus, and then they go home and have sex with somebody uh, that they're not supposed to be having sex with. And by the way, marriage doesn't fix the problem. You know, it breaks my heart, Martin, when I see professing Christians who are in relationships that are sexual and they're not married. And we make excuses for it, we overlook it. Now, if somebody is gay and they're in a relationship, we don't say anything bad about it. Or, or in many times, the, the, the Christians will say, well, that's wrong, but we'll turn a blind eye and a, and a cold heart to the people sitting in our church who uh, raise their arms during worship and take communion, but they go home and they live with somebody they're not married to. You see, we who are Jesus's, we have no choice but to agree with him about how we live our lives. So uh, Jonathan and David were not lovers. And um, the person that you heard that says he is a gay Christian uh, is not, uh, if he is making that contention to justify his sin. You see, we can't come to God on our terms. They may convince the world that we live in. They've certainly convinced the media, or maybe it's the media that's convinced the world. I don't know. But you see, that's how powerful Satan is. What we knew was wrong just a short time ago. We've now been convinced that it's okay. No harm, no foul. And that's simply not true. So we've got to tell people. We've got to tell them the truth in love. But I would start with this per se. If you say you're a Christian, you need to repent of making that statement. And of course, they can't prove it in the Bible, so it's just some gay professing Christian's take on the relationship. And all it is is intended to rationalize the lifestyle that they're living in. So Martin, I hope that gives you some ammunition in love. 340-9585. Here's a question from Jason. He said, do you recommend Paul Shepard as a Bible teacher? Yeah, Jason, I do. Um, obviously, I don't know him well. Um, I've, I've actually spoken with uh, Paul Shepard um, on one occasion. Um, but he is clearly a gifted communicator, a gifted Bible teacher. Um he is a um, an African American, as I'm sure you know. Uh, and his job um, ministering to African Americans uh, is so important because he's teaching the Bible and he's talking about personal holiness, and that's what they need to hear. And by the way, for anybody listening in this audience, we have a an African American. Uh, pastor right here, not too far from us in town. Uh, his radio show, I think, actually follows this radio program uh, every day at 5 o'clock. Rander Draper from Maranatha Bible Church. Uh, and I so admire his ministry. You talk about somebody who's direct about holiness and direct about sin and the need to repent. He's one of those pastors. So listen to him, support him. His style is way different than mine. And he believes some things that I don't believe, but he's doing a great work for the Lord. Now, back to Paul Shepard. Um, I, I, I don't really remember too many people who are more gifted than he is as a Bible teacher. He has a way of resonating with the people. And um, yeah, I, I wouldn't have any problems recommending uh, Paul Shepard's ministry um, if I had uh, any criticism at all. Um, maybe it would just be that he gets a little too topical sometimes and rather than just teaching through the Bible. But, you know, he, he does such a good job of teaching 
uh, the Bible in his topical messages that Jason and I have no problem at all recommending Paul Shepard uh, as a Bible teacher to listen to. Uh, I actually listen to him sometimes if we're in the car uh, or if I can't sleep or something in the middle of the night he comes on and and um, um, and I have no problem listening to him at all. In fact, the, I actually enjoy him a little bit. So I hope that helps, Jason. Thank you for, for asking. 340-9585, here is Barbara. Her question is, um, what is soteriology? Good question, Barbara. It's uh, just a, a, a theological term for the, the study of salvation. Uh, the doctrine of salvation. Soteriology is, is uh, what does it mean to be saved? How do we get saved? Once we're saved, can we lose our salvation or, or are we always going to be saved? Uh, soteriology is the study and the discussion of all of those issues pertaining to salvation. So that's all it is. It is uh, an important field of study. And... Um, Barbara, there's a lot of information out there. You have to be careful who you're listening to, um, but um, it, that's all it is. It's it's um, any Bible college curriculum would have a course on soteriology, learning about salvation, uh, how and why and when, is really really important. So that's all it is. Oh, I don't want to do that question right now. Uh, here's a question from Jack. Jack says, my question is about youth ministry. What's the most effective way to reach junior high and high school age kids? Jack, if you are in youth ministry, God bless you. Um, we need men and women who are committed uh, to this. I personally think that the most valuable ministry in our church from in terms of a teaching ministry is our high school pastor, our youth pastor. His name is uh, Pastor Nelly. Uh, he's a great Bible teacher. He's been really, really faithful and been with me now for a long time. Um, um, and, and uh, you know, he is sort of the last stop before these kids go away to university where they try to steal the faith from them. So um, the most effective way to reach kids at that age, junior high school as well, it's by teaching them the Bible. You know, the Bible says of itself, it's living and active, Hebrews 4 says, sharper than any double-edged sword. Living and active means uh, that it meets you where you are. It describes the supernatural impact and effect of our Bibles. You know, we open the Bible and it's a book. Well, when you're reading it, there's something going on behind the scenes that you can't see. And and the, the reason sometimes you'll open it and it'll feel like a... Uh, a verse just jumps out at you off the page is because it's God supernaturally meeting you at this particular time for this particular need. It's it's a question that needs to be answered. Um, there's no other way to do ministry. It's just the word, the word, the word. And unfortunately, we've decided that entertaining our youth is more important than teaching our youth. That being cool or hip is more important than being relevant. And by relevant, I don't mean relevant by the world standards, but I mean relevant by teaching the Bible. So there's no other way to do it. Um, the, the, the young man who is our junior high school leader is a, a young man who has been in our church since he was a, a tiny, tiny baby. And uh, he's grown up. The Word of God has been taught in all levels of ministry here at Calvary Chapel. He went away to Bible college. Um, um, he came back and immediately stepped in and started ministering. And he is a gifted Bible teacher, a serious young man. Uh, he's not what you'd call exciting. It's not like the kids are going to uh, laugh at his jokes. But they understand his seriousness for the word. And these kids that are coming from junior high going to high school are making it easier now for Pastor Nelly when he has them as high schoolers to, to go even a little deeper with them in the Word. So there's no other way to reach them. If you meet them where they are, they're going to swallow you whole. On the other hand, you take Jesus to them where they are, and he'll change them. And Jack, there's no other way to do this. There's no cool way to do it. You teach the Bible verse by verse. Teach the books 
You know, think about it in junior high ministry, you have the kids for what, uh, two years? I think here at Calvary Chapel, we actually let them start at sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And then in high school, you have them for four years. You know, I've got some of their parents who've been here for 20 years, and they'll be here long after the kids are gone in, in, in college or in the workplace or in the military. But the kids you only have for a short time, sort of like being a, a college basketball coach. You know, at best you keep a kid for four years, but now in college basketball, it's one and done kind of thing. So you have a very short time to impact them. And there's no other way to do it other than teaching the Bible. So, Jack, that's, I, I can't stress enough how important that is. Uh, how strongly and firmly I believe it. Teach the Bible. And by doing that, you'll be different than any other youth pastor or youth minister they've ever had. Just the Bible. Open up, say, turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And by the time you're done with it, a lot of those kids will be to the next level. But you keep coming back. You know, one of the things that's the, the neatest thing that happens here for me personally as a pastor is a lot of these kids, they'll go away to college for four years or even a little bit longer. They'll move back in, they'll come to church, and they'll come up to me afterwards and say, Pastor Ron, this is like I've never been away. You're doing the same thing you were doing when I left. We had people who've been away for 10 years and they moved back. And it's like, well, this is home. It's just like it's always been. Nothing needs ever to change. But Jack, don't cave in to the being cool. Don't cave in. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's an anonymous question from a San Antonio caller. Uh, how can I develop a stronger Christ love for other people? Wonderful question, anonymous. I appreciate your heart. Um, the, the, the first way, the most important way, you've got to have his heart. Romans 5.5 5 says that God has poured out his love into your heart by the Holy Spirit that he's given you. So memorize that verse and you pray to the Lord, that's the heart I want for your people. You've got to love the people of God, even the irritating ones. And the only way you can do that is to have enough faith to access his love. It's not your love. It's not emotions. It's not uh, feeling good about somebody. It's loving them even when they're unlovable. Easy People that are easy to love, no problem. But the people that are harder to love, the people that are lost and going to hell... Those are the ones that you have to draw on that Romans 5, 5, love of God in your heart. You've really got to have faith to draw that out. And you love them with them. Now, that's the first thing you do. You draw on that love of God. It's, it's already in you. You don't have to fake it. It's there. The second thing is to begin praying for those who are especially difficult for you to love. Aren't you glad that Jesus said we don't have to like the people we love. There's a whole bunch of people that I love with all of my heart, but they're not very likable people. They make life difficult. Well, those are the ones that we have to pray for more. And I promise you, Anonymous, God will change your heart for those people. If you start praying for them, you'll, you'll get to a place at one point where you'll say, you know, I really do want that person in heaven. Instead of thinking, oh, that jerk or that idiot... You'll have a compassion in your heart because the Spirit of God is doing that work in you. And then finally, the third thing is serve them. Serve them. Do some Jesus foot washing, and I mean that figuratively. But serve them. Kill them with kindness. Kill them with God's love. Expect nothing in return. And just do it because Jesus is smiling at you and he's proud of you. That will change everything in your life. And I promise you, um, you know, I, I know a lot about your heart just from the question that you asked. Well, if you're ever going to use that heart for God's glory, then it has to be remembering that the people are the point of everything. It's not for world issues that Jesus died. It's not for success that Jesus died. It's not to have a church that's thriving that Jesus died. He died for people. And I promise you, Anonymous, when you have his heart for the people in your life, 
Again, I want to emphasize, especially those that are difficult. When you have his heart, I promise you that God will use you in ways you never dreamed possible. Walk with Jesus. Repent of sin, any sin in your life. And then say, Lord, I want that heart. Can I say one other thing? We've got less than two minutes now. When I first got saved and I started to realize what God had done for me, I developed this habit, and it was unconscious at first, but I wanted to look in everybody's eyes. Jesus said the eyes are the light of the soul, a light to the soul. And I wanted to see if they were saved. And just in doing that one thing, gave me a love for people that I didn't even know. That was impossible to imagine not having. I wanted everybody saved. And when that heart is in you, then wonderful things lie ahead in your future. If you can be a man that God trusts or a woman that God trusts, He will use you and bring the lost, the hurting, the hungry, the broken, the needy, and the confused to you continually. So don't settle for anything less. Think the best of people. Trust Him. Don't worry about getting hurt. Jesus has you covered. Great question in the program with, hey, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for calling, and I appreciate um, your hearts. I really do. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Ladies, remember tomorrow, uh, Paula will be live in studio with me on the date day edition of the program. Again, thanks for tuning in. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 with Paula. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.